I recently switched out my winter wardrobe with my summer clothes. Do you do this too? Each time I have the opportunity to take stock of what I have, what I use, what I need to donate, and what gaps I'd like to fill. One of the funnest ways I've loved to fill those gaps is through Armoire, a clothing rental membership that can help you build the perfect summer wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your online closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles that help fill those wardrobe gaps without the major investment or commitment. For my first case from Armoire, I chose mostly summer dresses from Bowdoin, a brand I can't typically afford, and the chicest double-breasted black blazer from Paige that has honestly surprised me in its versatility. I have loved having more options in my summer wardrobe without the pressure of keeping them forever, and I've already been building out my online closet with Armoire, so I know what I want for my next case. For you expecting mamas, those working or style obsessed who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad you're here and hope you keep coming back each Wednesday. If you are a fan of this episode, please take a screenshot and share it, whether that's online or not. If it is on social media, tag me so that I can interact with you. I love doing that. You'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress, and you can tag me with that handle. And you can also email me at PackerProgress at gmail.com to nominate someone to be on the show. Today's guest is Paul Cardall. This interview will change your life. I do not say that lightly. Paul Cardall is America's pianist, a billboard topping artist with several number one albums, and his music has been streamed 1.5 billion times online all over the world. He is the founder of a very successful record label, Stone Angel Music, and he does so much for charity too. And yet I truly don't know if I've 
ever heard from someone more humble about his achievements and more intent about what he believes his mission is on earth and through his music. Paul was born with half of a heart and miraculously lived. In 2009, he received a heart transplant, and it was after this miracle that Paul was faced with crushing depression, guilt, and the dissolution of his marriage, and more. Paul speaks about all of this, including how and why he started playing the piano in his late teens, what the process is like for him to create, and what he hopes his music does for others, and how our trials in life act as the catalyst to real growth and learning, which is something he knows firsthand. A quick note before I turn the time over to Paul. We actually recorded this back in July, and his interview was set to air in September. But when I realized his amazing interview with Brianna from the Life Beats Project was airing a week before mine, I asked Paul if we could delay. I wanted my audience to hear him with fresh ears in case there is some crossover. Brianna's interview with Paul and his wife, Tina, is excellent, and I highly recommend that you listen to it, and I've linked to it in the show notes for you. It's also about very different things than what Paul and I spoke about. So if you are a fan of Brianna like me, just know that there is new stuff in store for you today, and I'm so thrilled that you get to hear from Paul again, and in a different way. I did take a page from Brianna's book here and have blended in one song of Paul's, Gracie's theme, into two parts of the interview because it was a brilliant move on her part. You just have to hear Paul's music to really get a sense of the power this man holds and the lessons he can teach us all. So without further ado, I would love to give the rest of the time to my interview with Paul Cardall. Hi, I'm here with Paul Cardall. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm so great. Really thrilled to have you on. And my husband is even more thrilled, as I told you. So I'm just so grateful you take the time and it's late on your end. And I, I would love if you could start by telling our listeners a little more about you. Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Salt Lake City. Uh, most people know me as a pianist. Uh, I've been a recording artist for the past 20 years. And I own a record label called Stone Angel Music, and let's see, what else could I say? I, uh, I'm working on my, I think it's like my 21st or 22nd studio album right now, and wow. just loving life. So, and you live in Nashville. So, I, I actually live in Salt Lake City, but oh, I'm okay. in, in Nashville so much that it's almost like I, I live here, but my home is is in Utah. Okay, so you're, are you there right now to, to work on your label or doing music stuff? So I, I came to Nashville um, about, it, this is a kind of an interesting story. My wife and I uh, were in New Orleans last Thanksgiving because I was keynoting a conference, uh, a medical conference of cardiologists. Um, my background I was born with a congenital heart defect, which is, you know, the number one cause of infant-related uh, deaths. But fortunately, I was able—I I survived, and um, I had a heart transplant seven years ago. So I get asked to speak at these medical conventions, and and it's almost like, hey, Lazarus is alive, so let's listen to what Lazarus has to say, and. And uh, so I, I was speaking at this event, and uh, we decided to take a road trip. 
because my wife, Tina, her family is in Cleveland. We wanted to drive from New Orleans up through uh, Tennessee and Kentucky and go all the way to Cleveland. And we we did this. We stopped in Memphis. And as a musician, like this whole thing was like, this was a great, great tour. Yeah. Just driving with my wife. And then we came to Nashville. And in Nashville, um, you know, I've been in the music business for 20 years. And yet I've never been in Nashville. I've had albums debut number one on on, on Billboard charts, but I, I don't know anybody in Nashville. It's a totally different world to me. I'm in classical and uh, and the classical crossover music, uh, Christian music. And so coming to Nashville was just new. And so we just came here just out of interest and curiosity. I just had this overwhelming feeling like you, you got to come to Nashville. Oh, wow. So when I get, you know, a strong, strong impression like that, um, I, I try to act on it, uh, because an impression for me either is a message from God or it's myself or vice versa. It doesn't matter. It just, you've got to act on an impression where you have something so strongly told to you. So I said to her, are you feeling this? And she said, yeah, I'm totally feeling this. We should come back That's to Nashville. Incredible. So we went to, you know, we went to, for Thanksgiving for her parents or in, in Cleveland, it's our mom and dad and went back to Utah and then we basically rock and rolled it. We grabbed two suitcases and four months later, um, just packed our home up for three months and came to Nashville in March. We were here March, April, May, went back home and now we're back here. But in coming here, um, that's where everything just started to open up for me. And um, so where we're at now is I am working with a producer who is very well respected. His name is Jim Daniker. He has been the musical director for Michael W. Smith, who's a mega Christian star for the past 20 years. And Jim uh, and I connected really well. And so he's working with me to produce my Christmas album for next year. But Long story short, um, I acted on a prompting. We told, it was totally crazy to go and just take off and do it, but we were in a position to do it. And um, big things are evolving and happening because we were willing to act. Well, I have a lot more I'd like to talk to you about uh, about your music, but first I want to I want to go back to. Uh, you talked about being born with that congenital heart defect, and, and since you had that transplant seven years ago, it seems like you know the majority of your life, you had to have dealt with uh, issues related to this condition. So, how has that condition affected your life? I think it's 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 a huge impact on my life, but I didn't really realize how big of an impact it was until. Um, later in my life because I was born with defect. I had mm -hmm. surgery as an infant, but I, I had a unique uh, situation because I was only born with half a heart. And so the doctors mm -hmm. didn't expect me to, to live at all. Mm -hmm. uh, the surgeon miraculously figured out what to do and, and created some technique that allowed me to live. But my parents really did not expect me to live very long. They always had hope 
and they're trusting God, and, you know, you, you make the best of the situation. And, um, but I was raised constantly in the hospital being told and overhearing conversations of like, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing he's alive. Uh, let's just keep our eye on him because we don't know how long he's got. Wow. So I was raised not knowing. And do you think that was, I mean, obviously as a, as a parent now, I mean, thinking about your own children, do you think it was the right, the right way to go with your parents? You know, just letting, uh, you continue to live without knowing like, Oh, you know, this, you might not have that long to live son. <laughs> or, or do you think it was, uh, I don't know if it still seeped in eventually, I guess. My parents, um, we just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Wow, they're incredible. So, so, they're, so, so I, got, I got really, I got great parents. Yeah. Um, it's really fortunate. Not everybody in the world has the support that, that I was born into. And so I'm constantly aware of the challenges people experience because they don't have the support. I was given parents who are optimistic, who asked lots of questions. My dad was a journalist. He asked lots of questions and they made sure they did everything within their power and their faith and prayers to, to keep me alive. Uh, you know, I've got eight other siblings. My mom had a lot of children. We were the typical station wagon family in mm-hmm. suburbia, Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Um, typical Mormon family. And um, my parents were just there constantly for each one of us. Um, now my siblings might say, okay, well, they were they were there more for Paul. But that's obvious because <laughs> in some scenarios, I was in the hospital and they weren't. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they made the most of it. And technology and, and um, surgery techniques just kind of were there and available as I got older and older. So when I was 13 and needed surgery and 14, when I had reconstructive open heart surgery. At 14, um, you did? Yeah, 13, 14, they opened me up and operated on me. And How scary. I just thought it was just part of life. I mean, it was mm. what I did. I see. I didn't know anything else. So when did it eventually become this need to have a transplant? So it was 22 years after my surgery as a 14-year-old. Uh-huh. Um, I is when I had the, the uh, severe heart failure, and that's when I went. I my health declined immediately. I, I couldn't do any music. I couldn't work. I was in an overstuffed chair in, in my home. I was wearing oxygen, three liters of oxygen. Um, there was a huge tank, a 50-foot cord that went to me. If my daughter wanted to find me, she'd go find that cord <laughs> and just follow it, and I'd be at the other end. Um, she, and if she was upset at me, she would kink the hose. Oh, no. Because <laughs> she thought, you know, that would get me uh, to, to pay some attention. But... It was it was a it was a challenging time, um, and and a dark time. Mm-hmm. It was a sacred time because um, and the only way I can explain it to people is if you know if I 
because when I went in to the doctor and he told me pretty much you need a heart transplant, he also told me how long it would take. And I asked him how long it would take, uh, how long I, I had if I didn't get one. He told me if you don't get a heart and we don't find one for you, it's probably, you probably only got about a year, maybe a year and a half. I said, well, how long is it going to take? And he said, there's a huge waiting list. A lot of people need organs and there's not enough people registered to be organ donors. So you could be waiting up to a year. So I, I put that together. And I'm like, wait a second, that's a catch 22. You've just put me in a pickle. And uh, so what do I do? And he's like, don't worry about it. We're going to do the best we can. Um, my uh, team was amazing. And all I could do is wait, you know, mm. wait for that call. But the only way I could describe it is if I gave you a envelope and told you that inside the envelope is the expiration date to your birth certificate, you know, if would you want to open up the envelope? Would you want to look and see huh. a date of when um, your time on this earth is over? Because that's what people that are given a diagnosis like me or, you know, cancer or other illnesses, they're told you've only got this much time. And so you have to ask yourself a lot of questions. And I thought I had everything figured out at the time because I had lived a very, very beautiful life. Everything I ever wanted, everything I dreamed of um, was given to me. And the challenges really came after the miracle, after I survived and received the heart. Well, you know, the difference, though, with someone being told this is when you are going to die versus having an illness that is shortening your life is you don't have the luxury of spending that time the way you'd like to if you were healthy. You know, like maybe you won't be able to, it, even if you know, oh, I've got this much time, you don't have the luxury to like go travel if that's something that you desperately wanted to do. Like maybe you're not in the physical state to be able to do that. Or maybe I just want to produce so much music. And it seems like for you, that was even um, inhibited during that time. And I like that you said it was both a dark and a sacred time. But how can you say that? How was it both a dark and sacred time? Well, the darkness comes from the mystery. You know, we allow ourselves to ask, you know, we ask so many questions that we don't know the answers to because there's no, there's no physical evidence or proof of some afterlife. And so um, you begin asking yourself, you know, is this, is this all there is? Is this it? You know, um, and then at the same time, I had a child and I knew that this this is the only experience she might have of of her father is he's sick. Mm. So how am I going to behave and react? And and I was determined. Um, I was determined to to survive and live um, the remainder of whatever time I had left. Uh, as an optimist, yeah. um, 
I, I started my own blog as a way of journaling. Um, because if you, when you journal, which is a thing that a therapist will tell you to do, if you're struggling, write down your, your thoughts because processing, uh, it allows you to process what you're thinking and feeling onto paper. And then you're able to read it and, and mark it and check grammar. It helps you uh, internalize what you're experiencing. So I began to journal, uh, but because I had an audience of people wondering why I wasn't out doing shows or they were concerned about me, they heard I was sick. So I, it, was, it was a way to educate my audience, but mostly I wrote it for my daughter uh, at the time so she would know how I felt about life. And it was as though as when I would write, God was teaching me um, and putting thoughts into my heart um, what, what really mattered in life. Um, and so leading up to, to getting the heart when I was so sick and so vulnerable, um, you know, you mentioned a bucket list. The bucket list for me was what I was going to do once I got my heart. Oh, I see. Huh. It wasn't, but, but up until I, I, I had to earn the right to go out and do everything that Tim McGraw talks about in the, you know, his mm-hmm. live like you're dying song, live like you're living. Um, it's a sacred time because you're vulnerable. You're so vulnerable and you can get angry. But there's no point in getting angry because um, you have to hope that there's something else. And the more you hope that there is something else, there's this faith that starts to build in you um, and this belief that there is. And I, I was so secure in my Christian faith when I was most vulnerable. Uh, I had no doubt um, of the reality of an afterlife. Um, It was just something that was constantly like this. It's as though this emotion of this warm blanket being constantly wrapped around me. I just knew it. And so I I didn't have any fear the fear was that my daughter would not have a father. Hmm. You know, I think when we first started speaking, I mean, I even saw on your um, Skype profile, you put happy next to your name. I, I sense that optimism that you brought up. Were, were you always an optimist? Or did this bring it out in you, this choice? Well, you know, life dramatically alters when you get a a normal heart though Mm -hmm. because i think i think during that period of 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 my life i i understood joy and joy is different from happy Hmm. joy is knowing everything's going to be okay joy is when you have this um complete understanding that um that love is really what matters the most and the relationships that you have matter most what you do for other people matter most. Um, because people were constantly helping me and my family. They were serving us. They were, 
you know, I, I, I mowing my lawn, they were shoveling my driveway, they were planting a garden that produced fruit. And so that was a really happy time for me. Um, but then once you get this healthy, healthy heart, and you have to understand, leading up to that time, I only had half a heart. And so the level of oxygen and blood flow that went to my brain was not normal. Um, when I got a normal heart, it was almost as though my body and my mind uh, like got this brand new computer system installed and my brain had to catch up with my 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 all the energy that was given to me and so I went through a, a really really dark period um, after my transplant I, I my marriage actually yeah. fell apart um, you know we talk about there's this phrase in 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 my culture faith proceeds the miracle but there's not a lot of discussion about faith proceeds the miracle definitely not so for me um there was no warning label that said if you get a heart you're gonna have these challenges because everyone receiving hearts at the time had already experienced normal hearts i was trained i was getting a heart and most people that have have hearts are not even alive i mean they haven't survived i was one of the few people from my state so there's no study there's nothing to say okay you're gonna experience all these different emotions so yeah so it was it was a really difficult dark time but you know you, you mentioned happy um i know what happy means and happy is is the goal that is the the joy ultimately is um what I think we all want to feel more than happy because happy is just a, you know, that's just a mood that you're in during the day. But joy is comfort. Uh, it's assurance. It's knowing that you've built a beautiful life because you have helped other people and you have this pool of people who care about you. I'm so glad you would make that distinction between the two because, I mean, I think that is something we too easily we replace one with the other you know we all seek for happiness when it there's just such a different level when it's joy instead of the happiness so i want to know then what got you through i mean this was seven years ago so what what got you through this time that you didn't expect when you're finally you know on the mend and getting healthy but still going through the darkest time of your life i i think it's an ongoing journey um to reclaim that i think for a long time in my life uh god almost in a way sheltered me in this beautiful bubble of joy and happiness uh, um with this experience it's almost as though he gave me this illness um for a for a specific reason and and, and it's almost like he, he wrapped his arms all around me through the whole thing and i was on fire and then i get this and then I get this new heart, and it's almost as like he kind of lets go a little while. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like I'm this little kid trying to learn how to ride a bicycle again. Mm -hmm. um, and I know my, my father, you know, God, my father in heaven is there, and he's holding the back of the bike. But but he's not as – I think he trusts me a little more to try to figure it out now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's this it's this almost like this new relationship that I'm forming with with – 
with my maker and the reason i talk about god is because when you're when you're born um and being told hey maybe you're not going to survive you're obsessed with with theology um because that gives more purpose and meaning to the suffering and everything and so once you're healed and you're you have this miracle happen it's almost as though you're trying to 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 grasp what happened why you survived and why other people because I, I had a lot of friends who did not make it mm. um i went to a lot of funerals of parents who lost children mm. um i think i got down in kind of like all the sorrow and sadness of it all mm -hmm. um rather than embracing everything that was beautiful mm -hmm. um we tend sometimes to dwell on negative things and things that aren't healthy and we have to set, set you know set boundaries for ourselves so that we can focus on things that are really positive um so you know and, and one of the things that really happened while when I was waiting for my heart is my, my younger brother who was a 32 year old man with beautiful wife who was pregnant and a, and a six month old and a two year old child um, he passed away while I was waiting he suffered from some mental illness and mm -hmm. uh, there was an episode that ended up taking his life and so I, I didn't have a time to grieve that mm -hmm. I had to focus on living and then once I got the heart it was as though all this grief all this grief mm -hmm came into my life and so I just I was a wreck I was wrecked but but the but the thing to answer your question um, I met I met uh, my wife who I married you know Tina mm -hmm. who I married to now and um, and um, my 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 ex-wife met this amazing man as well and it and it and they're so good for each other and yet my wife that i am married to now um she's incredible she's so amazing and so solid and understands and and knows me so well and um it uh and and and, and it takes you in this <clears throat> interesting journey where you kind of look back and you know it's almost like what happened but at the same time it's amazing what happened this miraculous uh, orchestrated miracle of how God recorrected everything and fixed everything um, and gave everybody what they needed it just seems like um, a huge part of your journey has been learning you know, <clears throat> acceptance too acceptance of the seasons of life acceptance of the emotions that we deal with, the hard times we face, and acceptance eventually of this joy that you talked about. Um, I don't know if, if that's uh, something you can see as well, this acceptance being part of your journey. Yeah, it's a big part. I think we have to learn to accept clearly our circumstances. Um, I think when it comes right down to it, and you know this, everybody is everybody has something very challenging in their life. Mm -hmm. Some people have even more challenges. Um, we face the consequences of our own actions, and we have to deal with the consequences of other people's actions. And so we're kind of maneuvering through this sea of uh, you know big waves, and we're trying to. <clears throat> stay afloat and uh, eventually we want to build a 
you know, a good boat that's secure enough to get us up on top of these waves. Um, and then eventually put up a sail so we can sail away from it all. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think every single person, um, is, is going through some unique thing. And, And I think the reason we all suffer is because it makes us stronger Okay. And it's a strength. It's 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 a it's it's a gift in a way, because I wouldn't know what I know and be able to accomplish what I accomplished had I not gone through certain things. I couldn't write the music I write that's able to reach people had I not gone through hard things. you're reframing so many things for me tonight and and just even thinking about suffering in that way as something I don't know to not shrug off or to despise or be angry about but to see that it makes us stronger I just love how you're reframing that I think that applies to your music too I've heard you say in an interview that your music is often the product of pain um, that it's arisen from very difficult times so what is it about music that has given your suffering a purpose? My music is a tool that people can use to help access spiritual feelings, to help access peace. I try to create music that enables people to just listen to whatever they need um, to reevaluate in their lives. Um, I, I believe God speaks to us through music, certain, mm-hmm. well, 
not all music, but but this certain music. I try to create music that allows God to tell people what they need. I, I've often said, if you listen close enough, you might hear God just whisper to you that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, music for me conveys the darkest emotions of life, the sweetest emotions of life. And it's this universal language. I can reach somebody over in Egypt where I ironically have a lot of a lot of fans listening really? to my Christian music uh, versus like Provo, Utah, where so there's a, there's only a couple, you know, and, and huh. it's because there's no words and it, it the music is what it is. And it just crosses these borders. So I, f- I feel like it's a tool that 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 can be used basically for for God to to tell us what He wants us to to know. When when did this love of music begin for you? Is it something that helped you as you were growing up and dealing with your physical challenges, or did it come later on in your life? Oh man, I I I used to when I was. Eight years old, I kept trying to think, how can I make some money? Because I want to go buy some cassette tapes. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I I sold night crawlers. Oh, I ra- yeah. I raised hamsters, and I would sell the hamster little baby hamsters oh, wow. to the to to the pet store. So I so I could go. I had a paper route. I would get all this this money, um, and my dad would be like, "Gosh, you're spending it all on music," and I just absorbed it. Mm-hmm. And I remember buying my first record. It was a Duran Duran Rio. And I listened to it nonstop to the point where my dad was, and mom was like, I can hear the, this was before subwoofers. They're like, I can hear the beat through the floor. And <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, you got to dance or something. Yeah. They're trying They're trying to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So um, I just loved music, but I didn't even really know how to play the piano. I, my sisters took piano lessons. I took piano lessons for six months. I just didn't like it. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of kids, I mean, how many of us really like to sit down and practice, oh, yeah. with, you know? It off the, the novelty of, I, I actually taught piano for a few years before oh, did kids. You? So yeah, I've seen that transition often with, with kids. They're so excited and then they right away realize, wait, this isn't, this isn't fun. <laughs> this is yeah, hard. I mean, ki- it's very hard. Kudos to those that take, you know, that stick with lessons, or, mm-hmm. you know, that don't take the beatings from their parents. But, <laughs> but, but the kids, I mean, that take piano lessons, they do, they do. It has been proven that if you take piano lessons or you play an instrument of some kind, that it's really healthy for the oh, brain. Yeah. It stimulates the brain. But for me, I just, my brain was dead. I just had no interest. Um, well, I was shocked to learn that about you, though. That, that as a child, I mean, well, I was just shocked because, I mean, you're you're so gifted. Um, so so when did you pick up the piano again? So, um, as a teenager, my friend, uh, my good friend Dave, he was, he could play Billy Joel on the piano, and I'd go to his house and I'd listen to him play, and I'd see him play Heart and Soul, and I'd be like, well, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. It's so amazing, and I would try to learn it. And um, he, he, our junior year, at the end of our junior year of high school, he was uh, another sad thing. 
he he was killed in a in a car accident and oh, I was just devastated because again I was mm-hmm. like what why here I am with this defective heart mm-hmm. and I'm still alive and why does one minute this perfectly healthy person you know leave us and here I am with all these medical problems and bills for my parents um what's going on and I I, I, it led me to the piano in my parents' really? living room. Huh. And I just sat there kind of weeping and trying to figure out life. And mm-hmm. I would sit and I'd play one note. I'd add a second note. And all of a sudden, I, I felt this melody come through me. And I played the melody. And it was as though this awakening. It's like I pulled back the curtain mm. to heaven and I could feel this reassurance that everything is okay and uh dave fulfilled his purpose in life and i've still got to fulfill mine and from that day forward i would sit at the piano like a kid who's addicted to video games and i would play and practice and try to figure it out like it was a puzzle and i was playing three hours a day and two years later i was i had a job in a restaurant playing the piano Mm -hmm. Um, it was a very sad happy birthday that I would usually play for people, but it was, uh, <laughs> it, nonetheless, I was playing for tips. So, yeah. well, so, oh my goodness. So do you read music? I learned to read music because I need it for communicating with other musicians, but uh-huh. today I don't really rely on it. I, I now delegate that to transcribers and other musicians mm-hmm. who are, who have that skill. Um, so I, I work with people that do that. So I don't, I don't really use it as, as much. One of the most talented musicians I grew up with in my hometown, um, she's, uh, her name is Corey Connors. She's incredible, but she, she doesn't read music. And I just think it's so incredible to see people. I mean, it does still feel like a divine gift. Um, and I'm, I mean, you've had to work really hard at it though, too. So where does that come into play? This, you know, uh, this word, gift that you have but also the hard work that goes into being a musician Corey, I know Corey Connor, she, her music is amazing, she's a yeah. great songwriter mm-hmm. um, everybody uh, is born with unique gifts um, we don't always discover them right away they come to us later mm-hmm. um, and if you look at the music industry today most of the people that are actually making a living never had piano lessons uh paul mccartney is self-taught Jimi so hendrix true. was self-taught um he didn't even know how to play that they both play the guitar backwards um, oh my goodness i didn't so know that most, <laughs> yeah so most musicians are not very you know they don't really know um hans zimmer who did gladiator and these big films he didn't really know how to do sheet music in the beginning and he started hiring guys to do stuff for him because he could just play. Now mm-hmm. he knows and understands that because he learned the language. Yeah. But but um, I don't know. I just think that some people are naturally gifted. Uh, it's I think it's an endowment from God to do certain incredible things. You know, we can turn on, you know, America's Got Talent and hear a young child sing like Sarah Brightman or Andre mm-hmm. Bocelli. And it's like, where do they get this? And clearly... You have to face the facts. I mean, it comes from God. Mm-hmm. 
So then it's to beautify the earth and make life better for all of us. So as a professional musician, then I'm, I mean, what I love about your story though, is that your gifts, like I said, they came on, uh, they became more part of your life later on. And I think that's really encouraging for people who might be struggling to know what their gifts are and to, and to just keep holding on and, and trying new things. I think will be led to the ways that we have our, our gifts, but I, I wanted to speak about, this is your career too. So what, what work ethic does it take to be a professional musician and how are you able to stay so <laughs> devoted to your craft? Oh. It's interesting. Cause a lot of, you know, people say, I know someone who plays the piano and they should do albums and, I know somebody who's singing in church and they should do this and that. <clears throat> I think I think you either you have to make a conscious decision as a musician if if you if it's going to be a career then you definitely need to kind of hang up music classes and start taking business classes uh, in college. You have to take marketing um, because most of the people that are making a living doing music, uh, you know, again, are self-taught uh, it just kind of was given to them. Uh, there are people that learned it and disciplined themselves, um, but they understand the music business, and they. And I, I fell in love with the business of music and the whole process of how it goes from um, the recording studio into the record label's hands, to the distributors, into the record stores. Because early on, when I got my first cassette and my first record, I would open it up from the plastic and I would smell it. And you could <laughs> smell the, the fresh paint. And then you would I'd get so excited. I'd ride my bike so, oh, I'm so fast to listen to that record. Um, I just was so passionate about the whole process. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people focus too much, you know, that are going into the music industry focus too much on making the song better mm -hmm. instead of uh and we know this because not every song on the radio is that great um <laughs> but th but those people have worked so hard mm -hmm. and smart to uh to 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 get what they where they are today they've met people they've negotiated they've learned everything they can about making deals and so being a musician you know um Writing music is maybe ten percent of what 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 you do. The other ninety percent is is a career mm -hmm. of business meetings and um, everything that goes along with with uh, you know selling something. Wow, that is so fascinating to see. You know how those two come into play together. When you are creating, when you are working on your music specifically. What do you find helps you get in the right headspace that you need to be in in order to develop this this music? It's definitely not always easy. Mm -hmm. So I try to set deadlines. Mm -hmm. um, if I have a deadline, I'm more likely to get, I, you know, put the pressure on myself to get something out of me. Um, I feel more like I'm kind of this transistor radio and I'm trying to, I'm relying a lot on divine help um i listen to a lot of music that inspires 
um, what I do. I don't always just sit down at the piano and come up with something. I have to be in the zone of, of you know, like an athlete that gets on a, a bike and starts cycling before he goes into the game. He gets all warmed up, and then he can go in and play, and it's amazing. I have to absorb myself in the style of music that I'm going to create. I listen to different composers, different artists, and then I try to transfer how I would interpret what they're doing. Um, one example is um, I did a piece of music years ago called Life and Death, mm-hmm. and I heard the theme, the basic theme for this song on a TV show called Lost. Oh, yes. It was by by Michael Giacchino. Mike by uh-huh. Michael Giacchino, and every time somebody uh, passed away, oh they played they played this theme. I know exactly and so, the theme. Yeah. Da, na, 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 na. So I was obsessed with it, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. But it ends uh-huh. so like like the smoke monster and all that. They they ended it just so scary. horrible <laughs> and scary. So I sat at the piano. Um, and I just tried to work it out and interpreted it the way I did. And I took Michael Giacchino's 30-second theme and evolved it into this five-minute piece. Oh, I love that. With, with full orchestra, which is now one of the biggest, my biggest uh, uh, streamed song on Pandora and, and Spotify. And it's amazing the number of people. It's a million people. and a half. There's a lot. Of, yeah, there's a lot of. A lot of people that have listened to Life and Death, um, Mm -hmm. and people of all faiths, all cultures, Hmm. from a lot of different countries, over 150 countries. Wow. I love that connection. Uh, That's what I I love about music, is the connection that it can create for us. But for you, I mean, what what does music mean to you? Music... Oh, man, that's a hard question to ask a musician. Mm -hmm. But music basically is the language of the spirit. And it's either a good spirit or a bad spirit. And I think think God wants to... It's one way God wants us to feel that we're all connected to each other. Because the languages, you know, were confounded and everybody has these different backgrounds and different cultures. But we bring but we bring music to the table and everybody can connect and relate to a good song. Um, and that's the one thing that music does is it's the it's like the glue mm-hmm. that binds us all together. You see this when you go to a concert. You know, there's a band who is so good in their ministry, and that's Coldplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you too. These 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 guys. Um, it's a ministry. They are bringing people together and and teaching that the most important thing in the world is love. And when you go to one of their shows, it's this big, beautiful um, thing that in, that the music basically confirms that we're one big family mm-hmm. you know we can do genealogy i'm a big genealogy person you can do genealogy and eventually with genealogy will prove that we're all connected you could put on a thumb drive eventually proof that everybody if you trace our lineage back 
we're one big family. We can have physical evidence through genealogy and through DNA research eventually that we're all one family. So I think music is the glue that can really connect and bind us and help us emotionally feel connected to everybody. it's got to be hard to know when a piece is done and you know I'm sure that as a musician too you've got a sense that no piece is ever perfect I don't I'm not sure if that's how it is for you so what what do you do to combat this uh, drive to make a song perfect when when sometimes that is unreachable when do you know it's enough well, I learned a long time ago that a piece of music is like a person. And a person is not perfect. Mm-hmm. They have they have character. <laughs> they have raw things about them. And if you make a perfect song, then it's like a robot. Yeah. So 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 the only person that you know you try to make you try to make a song as perfect as you can because you want somebody to be as great as they can possibly become so so i compare it to people people aren't perfect music's not perfect but every person has an interesting story to tell and there's depth and beauty to everybody just like a song Hmm. that's another thing you've reframed for me today paul uh before i ask you the last question i would love if you can just let people know where they can find you and where is the best place for them to access your music. You can access my music um, wherever you like to find it. it it's um, everywhere. So iTunes or stream it on Spotify or Pandora, Amazon. But my website is paulcardall.com and um, I have a newsletter there. I like to give away stuff. So if people sign on that, we give there's stuff we give away periodically, and it's a good way to follow what what's going on and what's happening. Great. So the last question yeah. I ask this to each guest, and it's what have you learned about yourself the past few years? 
I have learned so much that um, the thing that I've learned is how much how much I how do I say this in the right way how much I need and love um, God and my my wife um, and my kids and um, that um, people I get to travel all over the world and people are good and people are wonderful and um, everybody you know has their own different story um, that they're living different challenges and uh, no matter where I go people are human behavior and everything we're all connected we're all the same um, we have different backgrounds and beliefs and heritages religions but but when it all comes down to it you could have a conversation with anybody in the world and really relate <laughs> to them because um, we're all connected um, because we're one big family which it, it, it's God's family I, I think we're God's sons and his daughters and and he loves us and he gives us these he allows us to go through these challenges he doesn't intervene uh, some people go well why doesn't God help us well I think he doesn't help us because he knows how much we're learning and sometimes we just need to learn to get along so he stays out of the playroom. Hmm. You know? Yeah, so, so there's there's a lot. I keep learning. I have a lot to learn. But, uh, you know, I've got a great companion, a great wife, and she's constantly educating me. And if I could be a little bit more like her, I'd, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be just fine. Well, it seems you two definitely deserve each other. Paul, this has just been such a highlight for me. Thank you very much for being on. You're welcome. Can you see what I meant when I said this interview will change your life? Paul was so gracious to interview with me and to delay airing the interview and so much more. He is one classy man. And his music got my husband through his mission and it's getting me through some other tough things I'm facing. And you can see his website, social media platforms, and music linked in my show notes. Go give Paul a follow because he is not in this business for fame. And that is so clear in everything he does. Thank you again, Paul, for taking the time to be on the show. With the tone of this interview, I also delayed in thanking today's sponsor. So let's do that now. Monate, a hair company whose products are made to honor the hippies in us all. Monate products do not contain sulfates, parabens, harsh salt systems, phthalates, and more. But unlike all the other naturally based hair products that I've tried, Monate actually works. If you're looking for hair products that are scientifically proven to transform your damaged hair, elicit new growth, and add so much shine, health, and volume, these are for you. I have created my own video to share the difference Monate has made for my hair and why I am partnering with them. So you can see that linked in the show notes. If you're interested in them for yourself or a loved one, you can email me at packerprogress at gmail.com or check out my Monate Instagram account and you can find that at the handle Monica Monate and Monate is spelled M-O-N-A-T. I've had several interviews recorded the past few weeks that I am so thrilled to share with you. I think their voices are needed on this podcast, and I know that they are meant for you specifically. So I have some good things in store. 
This Friday is a bonus episode with Danielle Stepp, a young mother who recently faced cancer. Next Wednesday, I have Greg Karelitz, another happiness expert who has amazing things to share with you. I look forward to sharing those episodes, and until then, take care of yourself. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.